Hi, everybody, and welcome to Martin Bandike Undercovers for September 2018, produced in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. This month's interview is with the acclaimed biographer and music writer Robert Hilburn. His new book is Paul Simon the life. For more than 50 years, Paul Simon has spoken to us in songs about alienation, doubt, resilience, and empathy in ways that have established him as one of the most beloved artists in American pop music history. Songs like The Sound of Silence, Bridge Over Troubled Water, Still Crazy After All These Years in Graceland have moved beyond the sales charts and into our cultural consciousness. But Simon is a deeply private person who has resisted speaking to us outside of his music. He has said that he will not write an autobiography or memoir, and he has refused to talk to previous biographers. But finally, Paul Simon has opened up for more than 100 hours of interviews to Robert Hilburn, whose biography of Johnny Cash was named by the New York Times as one of their 10 favorite books of 2013, and the result is a landmark book that will take its place as the defining biography of one of America's greatest artists. I began my interview with Robert Hilburn by asking him how tough it was to get Paul Simon to fully participate in this new book. First of all, I was pop music critic at the Los Angeles Times for for a hundred years, it, <laughs> it seemed like. And I interviewed Paul several times during that uh, those years, I went, even went with him to Zimbabwe when he did his Graceland show down there. Zimbabwe was as close to South Africa as he could play on the first tour, and so I got to you know know a bit about him. Uh, and he was so articulate, you know, very very articulate. That impressed me. So when I wanted, to, I decided to do a book. Uh, I, I really love songwriting and the songwriting process. So I thought he would be the best person to talk to about that because. Of all the great songwriters from the 60s and 70s, he perhaps is the one who's doing the best work today in terms of his music standing alongside his original music. So that was good. He had a long, long uh, history of great songs. And secondly, he could talk about them so well. So there was also the, the, the privacy, though, the other side of him. So I approached him, and I uh, talked. He says, well, why does anyone want to do a book on me? It's just the songs that matter. Uh, it, in other words, he was saying, uh, I'm not uh, sure why anybody cares about me. He's saying, I'm not sure I want people to know, to know about me. You know, he's, he's, again, this kind of shy, reserved person, doesn't show off and stuff. And I said, but, Paul, we're going to talk a lot about the artistry, how the songs come about, how you learn to write songs, how you what your writing process is, talk, talk about the meaning of the songs. And so gradually uh, he started warming up to it, and then he read the first book I did, which was a biography of Johnny Hash, and he saw, I think, that it was a serious book. A lot of pop biographies are tend to be celebrity books, you yeah, know? Yeah, they yeah. just kind of the service and they don't really go into the creative process but that's one thing I really wanted to know I wanted to know how the boxer came about how Bridge Over Trouble Water came about how Sound of Silence came about and he was great at finally talking about that stuff and eventually talking about his personal life but that was the hard part getting him to talk about his personal life uh, because he's just private 
Yeah, and then in terms of getting, you know, he, he was okay with you making the ultimate editorial decisions, you know, with with what you were going to write and how you were going to interpret the book. He, he was okay with that. I mean, it sounds like you've got a long-time relationship with Paul. Yeah, well, that was the hard part. I mean, I, I, I had to have the editorial control sure. or it wouldn't biography it would be a you know it'd be a, it'd be a, a memoir of some kind uh, and so he said okay uh, you can have the final control but I uh, and I always wondered because he had such a controlling reputation in the studio making sure spending months making a record changing things all the time uh, I was worried if if he could live with that you know I thought he might this this controlling in the studio might become part of our experience and there were a couple times when he got very close I thought he was going to break down a couple times but ultimately he never drew any kind of line in the, line in the sand he was a man of his word he I had the final control how long did you spend writing the book and do you have any idea how many people you interviewed besides Paul Simon right. for the book I was planning to spend two years, one year researching and one year writing, but it took me longer to break through his privacy zone to where he really would tell me things that were important. So it took two, uh, took an extra six months. So it took two and a half years to do the book. And I spent maybe, uh, I, I, on, on the book jacket, it says I interviewed him for 100 hours. And it's true, I was around him with a microphone for 100 hours, but a lot of that was just kind of sitting around waiting for this and just chatting and stuff. There were probably 60 hours of hardcore interviews, but that's a lot. And then I maybe interviewed 110, 115 people in addition to him, you know, people who, some people who had never talked before to a biographer, uh, his first two wives, uh, his childhood friend, uh, Bobby Susser, uh, it was, uh, and, and some famous people, you know, Lauren Michaels, Steve Martin, uh, Sting. Uh, I, I, I tried to talk to anybody who could tell me about his life, and it was a, I really enjoyed it. You really have to pick a subject when you write a book carefully because you're spending all that time talking about and thinking about somebody, and if the person is not interesting, then it's, a, it's kind of an utter deal. Mm-hmm. Were you able to talk to Art Garfunkel? I know these two are estranged these days. Were you able to do any fresh interviews with Art? Do you have, have you interviewed him in the past? I assume so. No, no, I never had interviewed him because I had uh, uh, started at the paper after they broke up. Uh. So my first interview with the Simon and Garfunkel was with Paul on his second, on his first solo tour, and I never interviewed Garfunkel because I wasn't interested in him. Uh, I again, I like songwriters, so I was the pop editor as well as critic. So I would assign somebody else to interview Garfunkel because I just didn't care about the music he was making. So I had no connection with him, but I did talk to him when I started the book, and I was hopeful he would talk to me. But he said, in essence, if I were doing a Simon and Garfunkel book, he would talk all day, but he wouldn't talk for a Paul Simon book because I think I I think he was they're so far away he didn't want to do anything that he thought might help Paul in terms of building his book up and making it you know better or something or maybe he was worried I wouldn't treat him fairly but I was disappointed but he did a lot of interviews over the years that I was able to turn to plus I turned to several people who knew him <coughs> including two of his managers one man who managed him for 19 years so I have a I think I have a pretty good understanding and put his views in the book as well as I could. 
It's interesting to read about their early days uh, before Simon and Garfunkel, the Tom and Jerry days. And boy, it was not an instant success for for Paul Simon with or without uh, Art Garfunkel. And I, I had totally forgotten that the Simon and Garfunkel's first album initially was a flop, but it w- wasn't even really reviewed by a lot of major publications. Pretty incredible when you consider it was released on Columbia Records. It was a, on a major label, but no one cared at first. Yeah, but see, I mean, major publications, newspapers and magazines didn't really start taking pop music seriously until well after that album came out. That album came out in, what, 60... 64. I think fall fall of 64 originally, yeah. When my paper, the LA Times, this is before I was there, when the Beatles played there in the 60s, they sent a teenager to write about it because they thought that's the only person who would be interested mm. in that music. So th- there weren't very many people reviewing any any pop music, you know, uh, like rock and roll at that time. <clears throat> but the thing that was interesting to me about Tom and Jerry was the the they were doomed almost from the start because they make this first record together and it's, a, it's kind of a rip-off of a Everly Brothers song. And then... Before they make a second record, Paul brings some songs, who's writing all the songs, brings some songs into the uh, record company, and some of the songs are like Everly Brothers, so they say, okay, we'll record another Tom and Jerry single like that, but some of the songs Paul wrote were like Elvis Presley, who is his hero, and so they said, Paul, why don't you make some solo records like that? And Garfunkel was devastated because he thought Simon was going to leave him because mm-hmm. Paul controlled the group because he wrote the songs. And the most, one of the most amazing things is Garfunkel's father, remember these kids are 16, 17 years old, tried to get Paul to sign a contract at that time that he would only write and record for the rest of his life with Garfunkel. Isn't that amazing? Wow. And Paul said, oh, I'm not, I might want to do something else someday. And look what happened. He eventually left... Garfunkel, not for any ego reasons or anything else, but he wanted to be do more in his music. He there was such a bigger world than that folk song, folk style they did with Art. It's so brave of him to to have decided to go solo because Simon and Garfunkel were, as we all know, were just so eventually so enormously successful, and that that's a big thing to step out on your own. I mean, it was the right right decision, but man, that took a lot of guts. It took a lot of guts for him to to do that. Let's just stick with Simon and Garfunkel for one more question, Robert. Sure. I'm fascinated by, and I don't think enough has been written about uh, the producer, Tom Wilson, who worked with Simon and Garfunkel and so many other greats. I mean, what other person in the music industry was involved with Simon and Garfunkel and Frank Zappa and, and the Velvet Underground? What an incredibly gifted person and and he had a key role in the early history of Simon and Garfunkel didn't he Yeah and you left out one great figure he worked with Bob Dylan Oh yeah that guy so, yeah <laughs> of course yes And that was very this is this is pivotal when Paul Simon wanted to get a major contract was after Tom and Jerry he goes to England to write to to write songs and stuff and try to improve his craft Simon and Garfunkel Tom and Jerry are over with when Paul comes back he goes to Tom Wilson at Columbia Records to see if he can get a contract. He plays The Sound of Silence for Tom. Uh, Tom says, gee, I love that song. Let me have one of my uh, groups record it. 
and because he said, I already have a folks a songwriter, I have Bob Dylan. And it was again, it was such a small industry in those days. Columbia didn't think they needed two songwriters. Right. So uh, Paul, thinking quickly, says, well, wait a second. If you need a group, I've got a friend of mine I used to sing with, and I'll bring him in and we'll sing the song. And so they did that, and Wilson liked it and signed Simon and Garfunkel, but it was almost an accident that Simon and Garfunkel got reborn. Simon was only looking for a solo contract. Wow, just incredible. Well, we could spend um, another hour or two just talking about Paul Simon's solo career. Let, let's focus on, though, the, the Graceland album before we go anywhere else, because this is this out of all the ones in, in Paul Simon's catalog is, is revered by many people the most. How did, how did this album come to be? I mean, when it was first released, Robert, there was just nothing nothing like this. It just combines so many elements, that element of African music and folk music. Where did the idea come to Paul Simon to do Graceland? Well, I think you're right. I think that Graceland is Paul's masterpiece. And it almost came about again by accident. Remember now, he leaves Simon and Garfunkel because the most important thing to him is he writes the music before the words. So he's always looking for musical sounds that are different. Uh, Think something that will inspire him. They'll make him find something new. He felt if he kept going in the Simon and Garfunkel folk style, he would run out of ideas very quickly. So he goes into me and Julio. He goes into Latin music, goes into gospel music. He's always looking for new sounds. And one day he hears the South African music. And he says, that sounds wonderful. I think I would like to, you know, try something like that. And and so he uh, agrees, to, he goes to South Africa. His record company is, a, is worried to death because American artists uh, don't use a lot of foreign music because it doesn't sell. Radio stations don't play a lot of it. They like traditional American music, or, or you can say British music, too. Uh, but he says, I don't care. I love that music. And he goes down there, makes the record. When he first plays it for Warner Brothers, most of the sales staff is rolling their eyes, saying, what is this? <laughs> but finally, the head of the label, Mo Austin, gets up and says, that's a great record. And uh, the sales staff starts getting excited about it. They make this video with Chevy Chase. It's a huge success. Oh, yeah. It's the, it's the video that made it a success because it wasn't getting played on the radio until that video came out. Mm, mm, incredible. After uh, Graceland, well, not, not everything can uh, you know go well all the time. There's the uh, the Cape Man musical from from Paul Simon, which uh, didn't go well. Tell the pe- people may uh, forget about the, this blip in Paul Simon's career. I shouldn't call it a blip. I mean, it it, it was uh, he was pretty devastated by the the failure of this attempt to to write a Broadway musical. Why did he try and do something that ambitious, and and why didn't it work out well? Well, again, he's 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 always trying to quote improve himself, challenge himself. So he remember he made a movie in the seventies, late seventies, early eighties, One Trick Pony, that was a disaster because he 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 tried he he he's, he tried to take that same controlling method he used in the studio into the movie, but the movie making is a much more collaborative experience. He needed to hire a writer. He needed to hire somebody to star in that movie, but he ended up doing it all himself. (laughs) So then later, after Graceland, he's feeling real confident 
and ambitious again, so he wants to make a Broadway musical. But he again does the same thing. He he keeps control himself. The music itself is fabulous in the Cape Man, but the play itself was a disaster. Uh, the theme of it was was hard to begin with. He it's about a, a, a young teenager gang member who kills two other young men. So that's a pretty stark. Mm. Subject, you're not going to get people dancing in the aisles, no matter how good the music is. And so it was very ill. It, the, the the play had a lot of was was a smart idea, but it was just not executed right because Paul again did not relinquish control. He tried to control everything. Mm, mm. He's worked with some fascinating people in his career, everyone from uh, Brian Eno to Los Lobos. I, I'm good friends with, with um, not with Brian Eno, but with Los Lobos. And boy, I mentioned the word Paul Simon to Los Lobos, and uh, uh, they don't have mer- many good things at all to, to say about him. And, it, and kudos to you, Robert, for really delving into the, the controversy surrounding Los Lobos, who, who worked with uh, Paul Simon uh, in the early stages of Graceland. And what 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 happened there, and why 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 is there such a such a anger and antipathy between uh, Los Lobos uh, against Paul Simon? It's an interesting story, and two two sides to this story. It looks like. Yeah, yeah. I was a, I, as a music critic in Los Angeles. I loved Los Lobos. I was an early champion of them. I did a lot of features on them, and I was very disappointed when I went to write the book that they wouldn't talk to me about mm-hmm. this. And I said, mm-hmm. "Look, you brought this controversy up. It's on the internet because you claim Paul Simon, in essence, stole your song or stole your music. Why won't you talk to me?" And so that was very just dis- uh, dissatisfying to me. Uh, that they wouldn't explain their position. Uh, so I had to look what was on the Internet, and I always worry when I do that if, if they have it right. But I talked to Paul for a long time about this, the situation. I talked to Lenny Warnerker, the head of the record company. I talked to Roy Halley, who was the engineer in the sessions. And here's what happened. Yeah. Paul had all the Graceland South African stuff finished. That's like nine or ten tracks, but they needed one or two more tracks. And Lenny Warner said, Paul, we have this new band out here at Los Lobos. Why don't you come out and go in the studio and see if anything, if you, if you can get any ideas? The same way you go in the studio in South Africa with uh, the South African musicians. And he said, okay, let's do that. And they come in, and I think... This is me guessing now. I think Los Lobos thought they were collaborating with Paul on a song where when Paul brings these musicians in, he's directing them. He's saying, play this and play that and give me this kind of sound. And the only thing he wanted from Los Lobos was the generic guitar sound. He, They tried to play him a song. He says, no, no, I don't want a ballad. I want an upbeat, fast guitar. Okay? And so anyway, after the session was over, they saw that some of the lost lo- some of the South African musicians got credit for for co-writing, but they didn't. And so I asked Paul, "Why is that?" And he said, "Because they didn't write words and melody. All I got was this guitar sound. That's not a song." And uh, so I went in and 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 I talked to Lenny Warnerker. Lenny Warnerker says it's, it's an artistic decision who gets songwriting credit. That's Paul's decision. He didn't think that he deserved it. And he's given other people credit. He gave Brian Eno songwriting credit. He gave some of the songwriters from South Africa credit. 
but in his mind, they didn't contribute. And that was the story. And this, the track they wrote, sometimes in the in the interviews with Lawson, but you get the sense that they feel like they're almost responsible for Graceland. But the track they did, no one's ever heard of it. It's the weakest track on the song. He's never played it live. It's a forgotten song. And and I just think they overplay, overstated their their issue. I think they misunderstood what they were getting into. And I think they've I think they've been unfair in their criticism. Mm-hmm. Now, did you know that Paul Simon was going to be re- retiring from the road when you began writing your book, Robert? No, that was a big wow. <laughs> surprise. It came, it, I didn't hear any, any inkling of that until maybe, uh, well, let's see, I turned the book in in June, so maybe the last, last, late last year I heard it because he was... Uh, he was getting awfully tired on the road. I was in Engl- England with him at, at the end of his tour last year, and he was ta- sitting around the hotel room, and he was tired, and he was uh, he was just weary. And he said, uh, I, I was thinking to myself, if someone played Homeward Bound on a record in the room, it would sound like he just wrote that song. Yes. So he was just tired of the road and that's what that's what he's stepping away from he still might record some songs he might write some songs he might do an occasional benefit tour he might run a Broadway show he's not quitting music it's just an open world out there he can do anything he wants now he's but he's not going to tour anymore that's the one thing off the table he's going to use that time to, to do you know travel with his wife maybe spend more time with his family because one of the things you sacrifice as a as a musician in most cases is balance in your life you don't your friends suffer because you're always working you're touring you're writing you're in the studio and i think he wanted to get more balance in his life and that's why i think he feels so happy on stage and yeah, why don't we finish out with a, a question about his personal life? It sounds like he is balanced these days in his personal life. have been happily married for, for quite a while now to fellow musician Edie Brickell. Yes, he, it, it's, again, his first two marriages, he was so focused on the music. I don't think they really had a chance to work, and I, he pretty much admits that. But he met Edie after Graceland, and Graceland gave him a, a certain confidence. A certain, he was a warmer, more relaxed person after Graceland. I think even the the, the themes of Graceland and, and, and the rhythm of the saints about community and parent and children and stuff, that made him think about other things in life. And from everything I can talk to, every person I talk to, they just have a, a fabulous relationship. Thanks for listening to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers for September 2018. Our interview was with the acclaimed music writer and biographer Robert Hilburn about his new book, Paul Simon, The Life. This has been a presentation of the Ann Arbor District Library. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence